Welcome to TC Daily, the technology show brought to you by Tech Central. If you're new to these parts, do subscribe to us on YouTube at youtube.com slash techcentral. And if you haven't subscribed yet to Tech Central's newsletter, you can do so at techcentral.co.za slash newsletter. Now, we've got two great guests in the studio today, both from Alviva. Is it Alviva or Alviva? Alviva. Alviva. I'll try and remember that, Pierre. Uh, Pierre Spies is Group Chief Executive of Alviva Holdings. And we also have with him Craig Brunston, who's CEO of, I think, Alviva's biggest subsidiary. Is that right? Axis? By yes, revenue? It is. It is biggest by revenue. Okay. By revenue and, and profit. profit after tax. Okay. Right. Well, welcome, guys. It's good to have you both in the studio. Um, I'm really keen to find out what's happening at Alviva. There's been a lot, uh, lot of news just lately, um, including your results last week, which were rather stunning, actually. Um, you, you, you boosted your dividend by 90%, your revenue was up 57% to 23-odd billion rand, obviously helped by the acquisition of Tarsus Technology Group, but even without that, your revenue would have been up 23%. Axis, 40% improvement in profit after tax, I believe Pinnacle and all the other businesses also performed exceptionally well during this period. Um, Pierre, did you guys not get the main memo that uh, the South African economy is in the toilet? <laughs> we absolutely very fortunate <laughs> we have. It's a strategy in the making, we embarked on about six years ago to be a well-diversified ICT group, and it's planned out well for us. So it just stuck to our guns. We didn't waver from our strategy through COVID. Yeah, through two tough years, still profitable, but tougher years. Mm-hmm. And then it just, all the plans aligned for us. Right. So, yeah, so tell us fun. about this, this magical strategy, because uh, you know, there's a global semiconductor shortage. Uh, as I said, the South African economy is not exactly performing particularly well at the moment. How, how have you guys actually managed to do this? What's it's the, called peer pressure. What's the secret, <laughs> what's the secret recipe? It's called peer pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. No, it's just a specific KPI in each business. Very, yeah. And we, we rent this. It's a very corporatized business. Yeah. Ethics is number one. Wherever we go, ethics is number one. We don't, we don't budge at all. Mm-hmm. So we drive that very hard through. And culture, changing the culture. Single biggest thing we've had to do in the last six years, again, the culture's aligned and all the business is aligned from a corporate governance perspective. Yeah. So that's panned out very nicely for us and proofs in the pudding. So mm-hmm. from being the underdogs to being one of the market leaders. So we're very pleased with the results. Okay. And proud of the team. We've got a phenomenal team. Yeah, yeah. So Craig, Craig uh, maybe expand on that a little bit. And I mean, obviously, if, you're, if your revenue is growing at, this, at these sort of um, levels, uh, organic 23%, 57% if you include Tarsus, um, and Axis also you know, performing phenomenally well during this period, it means consumers are buying. People are buying your products. There's demand out there. Where's that yeah. demand coming from? Well, I think the story last year was really about the consumer demand. So the, the PC market bounced back really strong after the 2020 shutdowns okay. and the, the disruption. So to be fair... You know, we're coming off, the whole industry is coming off a low base, but the, the resurgence uh, in the consumer demand was something that caught us all off guard. I mean, worldwide shortages, as mm. you said, some of that was created by lockdowns, but a lot of that was actually created by the demand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we all benefited from that. The other thing I think Alviva, as the group has got going for it, is it's while we're a conglomerate, uh, federated group of businesses, diversified, We've got a great spread of technology brands. So n- no single companies, uh, you know, stuck in one channel, if you like. Mm-hmm. We've all got exposure to most of the markets. So, you know, we don't have a single event that can disrupt the, the, the group too much. Mm-hmm. And I think almost all the subsidiaries were well positioned in the, in the PC or the consumer demand comeback. Yeah. And that was corporate uh, decisions as well. So, yeah. And that's you know, cooled off a little bit in the second half of the year, of, of our fiscal year, which was to June. But 
we're seeing that replaced with, with other demands. So. Right. So where's the demand coming from going forward? I think right now, and you've, you would maybe see those shortages have moved out the, out the PC or consumer edge device markets into the corporate technology. So networking, storage, mm-hmm. servers are really under pressure at the moment. Is this because everyone's back in the office? Yes. Mm-hmm. I think there's a number of theories uh, and there's a number of reasons for the, for the actual short supply. But it's amazing. The last few years, we've had this demand, then short supply. Then the, the supply recovers, the demand moves to another sector. The, supp- the shortage continues, and, and, and so right now, networking by far is under the most strain. That would talk to a, a return to office mm. uh, demand pattern. And, you know, edge computing devices have, have cooled off considerably. So, yeah, it's, it's a very challenging, turbulent time to be navigating at the moment. Let's talk a bit about the, the semiconductor crisis that we saw over the last what is it, 18 to 24 months? Yeah. Um, it seemed to be affecting high-end chips mainly, but, and also automobile uh, supplies were affected. Um, what, what's the situation right now? Are you, are you seeing um, semiconductors flowing freely again? Are you, seeing, uh, are you seeing shortages in some areas? Are you seeing oversupply in other areas? Uh, I'd there. say yes to all of the above. Massive <laughs> oversupply. So feast of feast of famine. That's what right. it was. It was a feast of famine. So initially you couldn't get stock for love of money. Yeah. 18 months, two years, like you said. And then November, December last year, there was a big shift in the market where there was oversupply in Europe and all mm. of a sudden they slowed down or the retail market specifically slowed down. That moved to South Africa and we received hundreds and hundreds of loads of container loads worth of stock mm-hmm. overnight. From having no stock to having oversupply of stock. So, what stock are we talking about here? What it's, what's it's retail stock? Mainly retail. There'll be computer laptops. Com- laptops. Right. Mainly laptops. Okay. Yeah. okay. Devices. And that was the biggest demand for eighteen months COVID. Biggest demand work from home was laptops, Logitech, your 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 peripherals and that, mm-hmm. and then monitors. But then from not having any stock to having complete complete oversupply of stock from every single vendor, not one vendor, every vendor vendorship yeah. simultaneously. So, it, it puts pressure on your on your stock files. And with the stock files balloon over three billion yeah. and then you have to manage that. So yeah. And then then from there, still overstocked on retail, but retail as such has slowed down due to multiple factors, mm-hmm. mainly the interest the increase in the interest rate and also the, the recession in the market. Yeah. So it's it's a timing thing first. It's we're not too concerned, it's a timing thing. But there are shortages on high end notebooks. Still. But not to the extent of a year ago. There's still shortages. Right. I mean you've certainly sorting graphics cards, the price of graphics cards went got mm. ridiculous yeah. a year ago. Yeah. And then suddenly the situation changed and the prices Tumbled 60, 70, 80%. Yeah. And you can even see it in the stock valuation, the stock prices of companies like NVIDIA. Yes. They went absolutely nuts and you know, have, yeah. have retreated significantly since then. So mm-hmm. it's, it's very challenging to, to try and pick it. But the shortages are now in data center. So equipment, anything really going into the data Racks, center. Racks, servers. Servers, storage, um, networking in particular, like I mentioned. Why is that? Is that because the big hyperscalers are buying it all up? Or? No, I think the demand, the, the production, that's a supply problem. This, okay. The production has moved from, you know, semiconductors, the shortage is not so much just chips, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's semiconductors generally. So anything on the, the motherboard, silicon. That's mm-hmm. why the automotive industry, all industries that use anything related to, yeah. to computing keyboards or electronics have been affected. It's just as the, as the supply demand is balanced in each in each industry, yeah. we've seen it move in different pockets. So everybody rushed to make laptops. That capacity wasn't quick enough to make routers. Mm-hmm. And, and now we've got the imbalance there. And okay. then you've got the demand surge for routers, demand tanks for laptops. You know, now we have the, the opposite problem. Is the industry just bad at managing demand? What what's, what's causes this? 
Uh, that's a million-dollar question. Uh, there, there isn't a single vendor we work with that, that I know that could explain that accurately. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to do with what's going on in China, though. Okay. So I think China, Lockdowns. U.S. Uh, geopolitical issues right. are playing some role. Uh, brands like Cisco, you know, HP, they all uh, manufactured mm-hmm. in China. Uh, lockdowns, most definitely. That would the zero COVID policy in China is probably the single biggest thing that exacerbated that. Okay. And the war in Ukraine, has that had any impact? Uh, we, we haven't, I couldn't say we, we haven't seen any of that. Yeah, not, because there's nothing directly attributed in manufacture to that. But yeah. there are base metal components that might translate through that, but I think it's too early yeah. to, to see that yet. What we have seen from Russia, because there's a lot of the American companies restricted any product into Russia, and that's become available for us to yes. buy. Yeah. So yeah. that's... Consistent supply, mm. more consistent supply, mm. put it that way. What, what does it do for margins? I mean, when, when there is a tight supply, is it, is it good for your profit margins or do you prefer to have uh, an abundant supply? I prefer to have abundant supply. <laughs> balance supply. Balance, <laughs> we call it a balance <laughs> supply. So overall, that the margins, now with the overstock situation, that's your finest line is where's the balance of timing? It's all about a timing thing, converting mm. stock into cash. Yep. So that's a very big thing right now is that not giving the shop away, but we have to get the stock in profile. Mm. It's all about timing. Hold your breath. Let's see how long yeah. you can hold your breath. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't really impact on the margin. Yeah. So do you, I mean, do you sit on the stock in your warehouse? Yes, uh, on the stock in the warehouse. And warehouse you just wait until You wait until the demand. So you slow down the, the, your purchases. So it's a timing thing. Mm. But it takes up to six to nine months to slow down purchase. Feel the vendors, you've got six to nine month orders in, in, the, in the pipeline. Yeah. So that's how long it takes to filter down. So, mm. yeah. Look, over that time, you've had a devaluation in the RAND as well. So the yes. stock you've got. It's it's more probably more about the rand than, than the okay. supply. Mm. You know that's the so as the rand weakens, your stock becomes more valuable. Effectively, mm. I, yeah. If you can get the if same you can price, sell it. For it. Um, <laughs> but you can't because you've got betters with stock and as you, well. So you're uh, continually replenishing yeah. stock with at higher exchange mm. rates. Yeah. So the, the averaging makes your base effect higher. So yeah. You know it, it it's not as simple as just you know, it's oversupply. Therefore, you've got to cut the price. You, mm. you don't really because the rand has helped that. Mm. You know we've been lucky there. So. Mm. Did you say stock management is the most important thing you guys do? Working capital management, not only stock management. Okay. So it's a combination of working capital. So it's stock, debtors and creditors, and distribution okay. specifically. Mm-hmm. Cash generation. Cash right. is key. Right, right. Let's talk a little bit about the acquisition of uh, Tarsus Technology Group. That, that was concluded last year, was it? Last year, 1 July. Effective one, 1 July. 1 July, effective. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, how did that deal come about? Um, you, you got it past the competition authorities fairly cleanly, I thought. Um, is it all bedded down now, uh, and, and what has it brought to the Elviva stable? Very fortuitous to be able to, op- to, to the, that to be offered to us, and that was to, uh, uh, re- retaining jobs in the market. That was the single biggest drive in the competition commission is retaining jobs. Mm-hmm. Yes, we all know they went through tough times, but it's one of the best performing businesses we have now. So right. better things down. It incorporates the culture fit is spot on with the Elviva culture fit. Right. So it's been one of the easiest incorporations of any of our acquisitions in the last six years. So okay. very pleased with the acquisition. Okay. Five billion into the business, incorporated in, I think it was less than two months. Mm. It was great, you see. Mm. Amazing. Also, a very strong management team. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you keep the Tarsus name? Do you keep it as a separate, totally separate. brand within So the commitment I'm giving to the staff and the market is five for at least five years. Mm-hmm. We'll keep it separate. But there's no indication we, we're consolidating any of our businesses. Yeah. The idea yeah. was to consolidate Axis and Pinnacle going back eight years ago, and right. that we stopped. Right. So we run our business autonomously, and they compete. I don't mind helping competition. Right. Why do you do that? I, I like competition, keep them on their toes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
That's what I prefer. Is that the only reason? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's focus. Right. It's all about focus. Uh-huh. So each business, if you consolidate everything, you're not going to have the, the, the focus that you're getting in each team. Sure. Yeah. So the guys compete with each other. It's, it's healthy competition, yeah. but it's focus. I believe 100% in focus. Yeah. Yeah. But the companies address different customer segments. Mm. I was about to ask, how do they differ from each other? Uh, the, you know, maybe from the outside, and it's a common question we get, you know, and, and in many cases we represent the same brands. So take Dell or HP or Lenovo, one of those. We all three represent those brands, but we, we focus and are good at separate uh, reseller segments of the mm-hmm. market, be it consumer retail or small business or corporate reseller, et cetera. And it's just worked like that. You know, there are overlaps, obviously, yeah. but for the most part, that's why I say the group has had a, got a nice spread Fortuitous uh, spread of simplify. Access specialised enterprise retail enterprise. Yeah. Enterprise, right? So enterprise. Its access is core is enterprise and software. Now. Okay. Then Pinnacle's core focus is they've got eight thousand active resellers. Mm-hmm. They've got very the breadth is there. Right. And Tarsus is a mix of the two. Right. So if you were to combine them, you wouldn't get one yeah. plus one's definitely not. Yeah. Mm. Definitely not. You mentioned there's a bit of overlap. Do you, do you Pierre, encourage that overlap? <laughs> yes, I do encourage it, as long as they don't undercut each other. Right. As long as it's healthy competition. It's healthy. I don't mind healthy competition. Yeah. Let the best man win. And it's on relationship, stockholding, and vendor relationships. What happens if it becomes unhealthy? It's a phone call. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys doing? That's all it is. I would call. say, I mean, being on the receiving end of that phone call, it, um, <laughs> it, we've always competed with... These, these companies, you can add Mastec's group to, mm-hmm. to that mix as well. These have been competing with each other for 30 years. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's owned by the same shareholders or not, it's, it's healthy competition. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, we've, the market's found its, its feet. We've found our markets. We've found the price points. You know, different. It's, it's not only about the competing brands. It's about right. the other brands, the yeah. software that, that some uh, suppliers offer versus others. You know, so it's a complete mix and culture. I think culture is mm-hmm. a big thing. Um, so each of these businesses has their own distinct culture? Distinct. Definitely yeah. distinct. Okay. Mm-hmm. Own management teams. Own management team and own board meetings. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very little overlap. Okay. So, um, Craig, I was keen to get a view from you on how the distribution industry has changed, if it has, over, say, the last five or ten years. Is it, is it different now to what it was ten years ago? Uh, certainly 10 years ago. I think the, the distribution per se, 10 years ago we were talking about whether it would survive. Right. You know, there was the commentary in the market. You know, the, all the commentators were, what is the role of the wholesaler? Mm-hmm. Will they make it, et cetera? I think now the, that debate is long gone and there's debates of other sectors of the industry. I think there's, so, so what's changed is much more pressure on distributors to find value and deliver value uh, for the the supply chain, uh, do more work in other words, mm-hmm. uh, more demand creation, more marketing, in, in some cases more direct work that we never did before, services for example. With your clients' clients? Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, with our resellers and their, and their, and their customers. Mm-hmm. But building markets, I'd say it's the, you know, the, creating demand has become a big job that yeah. suppliers are asking distributors yeah. to do. But look, the, the fundamentals are the same, you know, working capital management was, is, always will be fundamental. Mm-hmm. But your know, software, that, that sector of the industry is changing a lot. Cloud are making a huge impact in that. And those go to markets. And as those go to markets change, mm-hmm. 
Tasus launched launched Tasus on demand, which is their cloud yeah. services business. How, how, I mean, how important is, is is that delivery model to the distribution industry? Well, Tasus has got Tasus on demand. Access has got uh, Access Cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, all the big, most of the big players have got a cloud platform right. or marketplace of some form. I think going forward, it's hugely important. Right now, it's still a, in the scale of things, yeah. a, a smallish contributor, 5 or 10%, depending on how you look at it. In future, we think that's going 20, 30% of our business will be cloud, delivery of cloud uh, products in mm-hmm. some form. Microsoft you, leading that charge. Do you s- see yourself competing with the traditional systems integrators over time? Uh, yes, in, in cloud, absolutely. I mean, because it's, a, but we do already. Okay. And we wouldn't say we compete with that channel. We do indirectly. Mm-hmm. And as a vendor like Microsoft would appoint the system integrator as a direct cloud provider and access as an indirect cloud provider. Understood. So we sell to another reseller. They sell direct to the customer. But we all competing for the customer mm-hmm. directly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not typically different in, in some of the big hardware brands either. Mm. So I don't think cloud's special in that way. It's right. just, those are the routes to market I was okay. referring to. And, and you work much more closely then now with your resellers than you did historically, do you? Yeah, I'd, I'd to like to extent. think so. But yeah. I think we've always had to work closely with, with resellers. That's uh, no, nothing new. Yes. The way in which we work has had to change. So, for example, cloud would be delivered via a digital portal first. Mm. So the first engagement is digital. There's no people interaction, whereas in our corporate hardware space, that's still very much a people mm. engagement. Okay. But, and we see that shifting more towards digital. Mm-hmm. A- as you would have, you know, I think the banking industry, we always use that as a good example. You know, your, your relationship with your bank is primarily digital now. Mm. Call, a, call your banker when you need them. And that's how we see things moving. So your, your focus at Axis is more enterprise-focused, uh, whereas, um, say, a Pinnacle would... Would a Pinnacle work more closely with the retail channel, for example? Yeah. All three distributors work with retail. Retail as well. So okay. each one's got a, a retail sector they focus on. Okay. So each one... So retail contributes between 15 and 20% of a specific distribution business. Right. And then you... So each business has got enterprise software, and then you've got your client computing. We refer to just client computing... X is just the bigger play in the enterprise space, which is software and, and networking. And okay. the, re- the, reason I'm, the reason I'm asking is uh, um, we know Amazon is, is coming early next year. February is the target date. <laughs> for that. Um, and I was just wondering what impact this is going to have on the, on the market. E-commerce is growing rapidly. The big retailers are all focusing on rolling out e-commerce solutions. MassMart, Decalot's there, obviously. Amazon coming. What is this going to mean for distribution in South Africa, Craig? Uh, well... Amazon is a, is a global direct distributor, wholesaler, direct retailer. Right. So Amazon is probably the, I would compare it to when Dell was direct, direct okay. back in the day. And, and a lot of people then said, it's over. You know, Dell's model will prevail. Mm. There's no channel. There's no resellers. There's no distributors. I would expect in Amazon's case, the same will happen. There will be Amazon marketplace for distributors and resellers to play. So we don't think that it's all doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. It certainly will sharpen the focus on getting ready for a digital marketplace fight. Right. You know, distributors, resellers, we will have to have platforms and marketplaces that give you the same experience that we can deliver product to you just as seamlessly as Amazon can. Right. Always through your resellers? I think so. I don't, we don't see a future where, where there's a direct distribution engagement. I think that, that's our reason for being. Yeah. 
you know, we'd rather scale down or, or look for other options, uh, other yeah. technology segments than change fundamentally how we work. Yeah, and you'd then, if you were to do that, you'd risk annoying your reseller partners. Of course, of course. And, and it's not that simple either. It's contractual, you know, contracts are, are usually delivered in a wholesale resale format. Yes. So a lot would have to change to enable yeah. that. Yeah. I, I think certainly some have tried. We wouldn't think that that's very successful. No. Yeah, yeah. And it's a scale problem. Mm. You know, there's how many 250,000 businesses that we're trying to sell to. You know, you can't go to loan at that, you know. Rather sell through 5,000 resellers to get to 250,000 yeah. customers. Now, um, your acquisition of Datacentrics a few years ago, um, was that all part of the um, focus on, on, on becoming more of a services-focused business and um, having your distributors um, help your resellers more directly, or was Datacentrics very much a separate business unit that's not, not involved in the distribution side at all? Data centers are completely separate. Completely separate. Majority of what they purchase direct from the vendor. Mm -hmm. So they don't really compete with the smaller resellers. Okay. Completely independent business. Right. So that was part of the, to be a well-diversified ICT group. Mm -hmm. So we've got system integrator, we've got solar, we've got Centrofin, which is finance, financial, and we've got the cloud business, and we've got distribution. Mm -hmm. Completely separate. How so do you so decide where you play? No, the strategy mapped out initially was we want to be in applications, we want to be in IP-based businesses, we want to be in system integrators and financial services and distribution. So initially mm. it was only distribution, mm. and we start diversifying in different clusters. Okay. And we target specific acquisitions. Right. So you've got, um, you've got SolarF grid cars. We had uh, mm. Winston Yodan on this very show uh, a couple of weeks ago, very interesting discussion. Um, maybe just take us through, Pierre, some of those IP businesses that, you, that you've got in your stable and how they're doing. So the IP-based businesses are very disappointing to say the least, but we believe in, so you need, to, you need a, like a visionary companies or dream. That's in a Merlin. That's in your grid cars. Grid cars, we might, we might be five years out of the curve, yeah. but at least we're now managing 100% of the, of the external charging stations in the country. So, yes, we're out of the curve, but we believe in the future is EV. We know that. Mm -hmm. That's why I invested in Solar F with renewable energy. So it's a very specific initiative. Out of the curve, now we can't get supply. Like we said in the supply and Chipsets you can't get, you can't get supply or Sorry. approvals from government to your biggest debt challenges, get approvals from government to install. Okay. That's from ESCOM and municipalities to install the solar. At homes? How strange is that? At businesses? Uh, no, homes are smaller. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about big business, shopping centers, shopping malls. Right. Give an example. Uh, Mall of Africa, we did Mall of Africa, massive installation, one of the largest at the time, Southern Hemisphere rooftop PV. Mm -hmm. And everything installed, commissioned. Took government two years to prove them to flip the switch. Two years. Two years, fully paid for two years. They weren't allowed to use the solar on the roof. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's what it is. So <laughs> is that you're hearing they want to get. You're hearing everywhere. Yes, they want to drive renewable energy. This, but yeah. it's not filtering through. We're right. not getting the approvals. Is that a NERSA process? No, sir. Yeah. NERSA. NERSA, Eskom, and municipalities. Those right. are the three that we struggle to get approvals in certain areas right. for. Okay. The size of installation. So we're sitting on a massive pipeline, orders in hand, we can't deliver. Majority mm -hmm. of it due to your approvals, yeah. waiting approvals. Okay. And then there's the other business you mentioned, Merlin. They're, um Merlin, it's a, that's a, that's a, it's a digital twin. Right. Send your digital twin to work. So it's effectively clone your, your thought processes and behaviours, and it's automation behind the scenes, the mm -hmm. algorithms and stuff. AI. AI, yeah. All yeah. AI. And how's that business doing? Still slow, so mm -hmm. we signed up a, a few big, so a few of the names, we've got FMB, we've got Epson, we've got Sassel, we've got Discovery. So there's a few big names in there, but it's still not, it's not, uh, it's breaking even. Mm -hmm. It's not spitting money like we'd hoped it would. 
Right. So it's still early days, but yeah, yeah. there's a future. It's futuristic. Yeah. And do you have any other businesses in the IP stable? Uh, we've got Synergy ERP, where we've yes. got there. We've got very similar automation processes. We've got they impl- in- implemented the Sage at uh, Access and at Pinnacle. Okay. So we own that business well, and that's mainly on Sage. So we decided: is it SAP? Is it Oracle or Sage? Mm. Sage was the fastest growing outside of America, and we decided to go for the Sage as an application business, a Sage implementer. Mm-hmm. That's how we got to that business. But then the vendor changes model from perpetual licensing to subscription, and your model from being profitable up front, mm. now you have to wait three, four years, five years for your money. So right. That changed last year. So, Pierre, there's uh, been, um, you've been driving a lot of the consolidation that we've seen in the uh, IT distribution market in South Africa through your acquisitions. Are you done? <laughs> Are there other uh, assets out there that you're interested in? So as I mentioned earlier, Tarsus wasn't on the radar. Mm-hmm. It was just fortuitous for them to approach us, and that's how the deal happened. Okay. We weren't out there looking for distribution. We were looking for very specific IP-based businesses and application businesses. Mm-hmm. So Tarsus is an anomaly. Excuse the, 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 the strategy for now to be embarked on to have 50% EBITDA, more than 50% outside of distribution. Not that we're scared of distribution. Mm-hmm. Distribution will carry on growing. We just want to grow the balance of the business a lot faster. Okay. So the consolidation, we're not consolidating, still running independent businesses. Yeah. Mm. That's what people see. They've got their own credit lines. No one's got, there's not a centralized credit line from a vendor and then we dish it out. Right. Each just has got his own credit line, his own relationship with the vendors. Mm. So we're effectively just an investment company. Okay. So if you're going to make acquisitions going forward, it's more likely to be on the IP side of the business. IP and application. Applications. Okay. So if I'm saying we, we, we could get a, a nice consulting business for Oracle or for SAP, we'll mm-hmm. consider it. Generally. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I want to, I before we wrap today, talk about this uh, acquisition that is potentially in the works. Uh, you announced, when, when was the anu- initial announcement? A couple of months ago now? Yes, that was in June. June already. Okay, so there must have been some progress since then. Um, I understand you can't talk about what hasn't been disclosed to the market yet, but uh, the announcement was that a black-led consortium is going to buy out Alviva Holdings for 3 billion rand in cash or 25 rand a share. Uh, proposals have been put on the table. Investors include TAM or THAM Investments, and DY Investments 3. Who are these guys, first of all? So the two, two main guys there, the one is Fani uh, Mutlangu. Mm-hmm. He, so effectively, he started with owning the software, eNATO software. He sold it to government, and okay. that's where he initially made, made some of it. The government still owes him a lot of money for that, but that's a different discussion. <laughs> and the other one's uh, Puven Ramasamy. He was at EPSA for many years. He's an industrialist as well. Mm-hmm. And then he owns mines and various other initiatives. So he's got a very well-diversified these companies called Amava and very well diversified chrome mining and stuff like that. And they just they met with us going back four and a half, five years ago. Okay. That's when the process started, about five years ago, when they started with engaging to see to do a possible buyout to the management with the management. Oh, so it's been coming for a very long time. It's been coming for a long time. Are they, they re, are they existing shareholders in Alviva? They've, they're the larger shareholders, yeah. Okay. Are they your BEE partners? Yes. I understood. Okay. So, um, so this conversation about the entire group, has that been in discussion for the last five yes, years? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. What, why, why did it get serious now? What happened this year that it decided to... So the funding proceed? wasn't available. So I mean, through COVID, COVID mm. was a big uh, uh, dead stop for all of us. Right. Where all the funding just dried up. People weren't prepared to what's going to happen in the world. There's some funding dried up. Mm. A year after COVID, yes, the funding started becoming available and opportunities there now. Understood, understood. Uh, so you, you have to point, you have appointed, I presume, an independent board and an independent yes, expert... Yes. Uh, to, uh, I think the terminology they use is opine uh, <laughs> on, the, uh, on the proposal. Where, where are we in that stage, in that process? So most of the fair and reasonable is done. The independent board's appointed. 
They're busy with all the various things they need to do to get it through. So there has been progress. Mm-hmm. Now it's about pricing. Right. So the next step will be is to be allowed to approach five of the top shareholders and get irrevocables from them, whatever price we can go to market on and get them to agree on a price. Okay. And then we can go to market. Okay. So it's still a process. Right. It's still uh, weeks away, but months away, but it's, it's slow. It's frustrating, but it is right. what it is. Right. So the independent board has to opine on, <laughs> the, uh, on the fairness of the offer price, yes. do they? Uh, have they done that yet? Yes, they've done that. They've done that. Is that public knowledge? What no, no, it's not public So that's what you need to sit with the shareholders and see if they're comfortable with it. So I see. If you get the five top shareholders, irrevocables, then you can go to right. market. Okay. Else you, you might be wasting your time. After your stunning recent results, I imagine there may be some conversations about where... No, no, everybody's just saying completely <laughs> underpriced. You need to pay more. And I explained to them last week in the session, I said, it's quite important that 18 months ago, the share price plummeted to five rand. Not one shareholder was prepared to buy one share at five rand. That's 18 months ago. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Then we started the discussion with EB. It really started at 13 rand. Mm-hmm. It came to the board at 15 rand. So at 15 rand, the board had an offer. Mm-hmm. Initial offer was 23 rand. The board rejected it. It went away. It came back at 25 rand. The board said, okay, that's more reasonable for now. That's just at 15. That's a 66% premium. Mm-hmm. And that was after we released stunning half-year results. So the price had normalized at 15. Then from 15, something leaked into the market, it went to 19, and the offer out was 25. So everyone's saying it's under, under, under. I said, mm-hmm. guys, no one. We've had major companies look at us in the last four years. Right. They do full-on DDs for nine to 10 weeks, and the feedback generated come back is your margin, it's marginal. Mm-hmm. It is, it's distribution. So if there's a blip in your margin, it's going to impact your profitability in a meaningful way. Your variability of your working capital is a concern. So you might need a lot more. You might buy the business, and then you might need another billion rands of the working capital. So you need to stand good for that as well. So it's not only three billion. If you're looking at it, it's like four billion you're looking mm-hmm. at because you need to put working capital into the business. And then just the, the overall, your, your business is very complicated. Mm-hmm. People think distribution is easy. It's more complicated than people think. You've mm-hmm. got so many different balls in the air and you just need to try and get them aligned. Yeah. And then after nine weeks of D-Day, they come back and, oh, sorry. And these are large companies that have looked at us. So I said, guys, please, if, if any of you are prepared, please, they said, have you received any other phone calls? No, we haven't. We don't have any other offers on the table. People just don't like distribution. Yeah. More it's, a tough business. Africa. it's a tough old business. It's a tough, I'm telling um, you. Yeah. And, it's, and it goes back to 2000 with the demise of Soltec, unfortunately yeah. for us. Yes. And it's still back of people's minds and oh, yeah. they're scared of distribution. Mm. So yeah, we don't mind it. Mm. Mm. So uh, management is also involved in this, uh, yes. in this transaction. In, in what way? How will... So oh. management will have a, a, a stake in the business, okay. and then your stake is only worth when you repay the debt, and that'll be in, in year six or year seven. So right. Okay. Management, management's tied in for many, many right. years. Right. Management being the leaders all of the, the all businesses? The minimum is all the CEOs and all the CFOs okay. in all the large subsidiaries. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, uh, if this deal goes ahead, which it's sounding like it's going to, um, the business is going to be delisted. Um, does that have any advantages to you or any disadvantages? We're carrying on running the business as a corporate entity, mm-hmm. very corporatized, like I said. We have four more board meetings every single month with every single subsidiary, right. and that won't change. Governance will stay the Governance same. Governance will stay. Was there any advantages you got from being a listed entity? Nothing. Nothing? No. Right. So Not that I could see. So it makes no sense for you to be listed? No sense whatsoever. We've never gone out on the right issue to raise money. Right. It's just the, the, the market doesn't see value in your business. Right. And it's, uh, the worst of it is it's in small caps. Yeah. Worldwide, small caps are not the flavor of the month, so mm-hmm. people don't invest in small caps. Mm-hmm. And then the, the benchmark used to be if you're over 5 billion, 
the international guys will start five billion market cap. Mm-hmm. The national guys really start looking at you. Now that's moved to ten billion. So if you're not at ten billion market cap, you not you don't get the international pension funds and investors investing in the business. So that's where if you look at the activity level on on data tech, they there at the ten billion. Yeah, there's a lot of activity, a lot of interest in there. It's a very similar business. Mm-hmm. Yes. They're ten billion market cap. Market cap makes the difference. Mm-hmm. But lots of the global yeah. distributors have delisted yeah. off the Nasdaq yeah. even. You know, so okay. even even at global scale no value, level, yeah. the biggest in the yeah. world, Ingram Micro, these guys. Some of them are planning to list again, but yeah. they either go private equity or, or delist yeah. entirely. This is obviously just bad, more bad news for the JSC, which is which is um, seeing seeing continuous delistings. The size of the the bourse has shrunk dramatically in the, in recent years. Is there anything the JSC, in your view, should be doing better to retain a company like Alviva on its on its? We've listings? had a few. I said to them, I had a few sessions with them of late. I yeah. said. Uh, if we remain listed, it's not to say it's going to happen. Remember, it's not a foregone conclusion. So if you remain listed, we'll gladly engage to have very specific days with all the investors. Yeah. It's a very specific small cap investor days. Come and tell the investors who, what you are. Right. So I said gladly, but why now? Why didn't you do that two, three years ago? But mm. that's fine. If you remain listed, we'll gladly engage with them. Mm. So there are various initiatives that they're busy with, which fits in perfectly going forward. It'll be fine. Yeah. Pierre Spies is Group CEO of Alviva Holdings, and Craig Brunsden is CEO of Axis. Gentlemen, thank you so much for making the time to talk to Tech Central. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you for your time, Duncan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.